I learned very quickly that I cannot do things on my timeline with my dog. I have to do things on her timeline. listening to the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host and resident dog mom, Erin Scott. Not only can a dog be your best friend, but I believe a dog can be a healer, a teacher, and an inspiration. I can't wait to share with you stories of how the love of a dog is changing our lives and changing the world. This is Believe in Dog. Welcome to episode 81 of the Believe in Dog podcast. I'm your host, Erin Scott, and thank you so much for being here today. I'm really excited today to dive into the topic of therapy dogs. Have you ever wondered if your dog would make a good therapy dog? I know I have. So today we're talking to Sherry Rohde. Sherry is the host of the podcast Therapy Dog Talk, and we're going to hear all about her journey. From growing up a little bit scared of dogs to deciding to change her career to make it centered around dogs. I know February was Pet Dental Health Month, but we really need to think about our dog's dental health all year round. I recently learned that 80% of our dogs over three years old have active dental or periodontal disease. And dental disease is actually a sign of other inflammation in the body and can be connected to everything from cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, diabetes, certain types of cancers, joint disease. Your dog's dental health actually can affect everything in their body. And you know that I am obsessed with finding the best and healthiest products for our dogs. So I was so excited to find out about teeth. That's right, teeth. Just a tiny spoonful of teeth powder in your dog's water bowl will make a huge improvement in your dog's dental health. It's the only thing that ever made my vet stop and go, hey, what did you do with Penny's teeth? They actually look so much better. So forget trying to figure out how to get your dog's teeth brushed without them biting you. Forget those sticks or green shoes. What you need is teeth powder, just a tiny amount in your dog's water bowl. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% on your teeth order with the code ADM. And you'll be on your way to a healthier smile for your dog without any anesthesia needed. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more about teeth and save 20% on your orders. Did you ever hear the one about the dog who ate her own obedience certificate? One of the things I always say, I mean, you always hear it in the beginning intro of the podcast, right? Is that dogs can be healers and teachers and inspirations in our lives. And I think you're really going to enjoy seeing how this plays out in Sherry's life. Once Sherry decided she wanted to get a dog as an adult, she had her heart set on a beagle. But funny story, we'll find out that her dog Sunny isn't actually a beagle at all. And one of the other things that really stood out to me in Sherry's story is how you'll realize what an incredibly smart, driven, goal-oriented woman that Sherry is. But just because we have certain goals and dreams in mind doesn't necessarily mean that our dogs are on the same timeline as us. And Sherry's going to share about how she's had to learn to take things at Sunny's speed. And this really reminded me of some of the biggest lessons that I've learned from my dogs over the years about staying grounded, staying in the moment, and the whole concept of not being so focused on the destination that you forget to enjoy the journey along the way. So let's get started. I can't wait for you to meet Sherry Rudy. So we are here today with Sherry Rudy. Sherry, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you, Erin? I'm doing good, thanks. I'm so excited to talk to you. We have so much to cover. <laughs> so I always love starting off by asking about your childhood experiences with animals. For instance, I did not grow up with animals. I did not have any kind of pets. I didn't even know I liked dogs until I was 25 and my husband made us get one. (laughs) And it just changed my whole life. So I'm always curious what that looks like for everybody else. Are you someone who grew up with pets? 
I did actually. Yeah. So my parents had a dog when I was born. So my animal lineage goes all the way back. Definitely. In fact, I remember as a kid, I thought I wanted to be a zookeeper when I grew up. (laughs) Kind of a complicated subject for me now, but I've just always loved animals and am really excited to be on a path towards working with them full time. That's wonderful. Did you always know that when you got older, you definitely wanted to have dogs and and always saw that as part of your life? You know, I didn't actually. I was afraid of dogs for a while as a child. I was actually bit by the dog that my parents had when I was born. And um, it was my fault. I pulled on its fur and clearly my parents didn't know how to properly introduce babies and children. But I still grew up with that dog. But I knew the dog as my aunt's dog um, because they rehomed the dog with my aunt. And so I didn't actually know that story until maybe a couple of years ago. (laughs) But but I always had cats growing up. Cats were my jam. Uh, I really liked cats. And then I really fell in love with dogs probably around... 2008, 2009, somewhere in there and decided that I really wanted a beagle. But (laughs) I didn't have money for a dog at the time. They're considerably more expensive than a cat. And then when I did, I was traveling internationally a lot for my job and it just wasn't fair to the dog to have a dog. So it wasn't actually until 2019 that I had my first dog, even though I had wanted one for about 10 years at that time. Oh, okay. Well, what did you do professionally that had you traveling so much? Yeah, so I actually work in tech. And at the time, I was traveling, working for a company called Magento and doing developer relations. So I was speaking at different conferences, and just really connecting with people who used our software to build their e-commerce stores. Okay. So that seems like a total departure from what I knew you as. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it sounds like it, but it's not at the same time. So I got to a point where I was like, you know, I really just want to do something different. And there's a lot of transferable skills that took me from developer relations in tech to psychology. Um, A lot of it's the same in terms of building relationships with other people. It's just the end goal is different and the process is different. But overall, it's, it's a lot of the same skills. And so that's kind of what brought me into this world is I started to venture into psychology to become a therapist. And I was looking around at different modalities and I learned kind of through Instagram, actually, that you could um, partner with a dog in your work. And I was like, oh, hey, like I have a dog. How convenient is that? She really loves people. (laughs) So (laughs) that's kind of what started me down that route. Oh, wow. So social media can be a force for good sometimes, huh? (laughs) It can. It all depends on how you use it. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about Sunny and how she came into your life. Absolutely. So that job that I mentioned, I found out in November, the end of November of 2019, so pre-pandemic, just barely, um, that I wasn't going to be traveling internationally anymore. We were just prioritizing funds differently. And I was like, okay, then I'm getting a dog. So two weeks later, I'm like casually looking around. I loved beagles. I thought I really wanted a beagle. It's actually really hard to rescue a dog when you haven't had one of your own yet. I find that a lot of applications are really challenging for that. Um, So that was something I ran into as well as every time I messaged about a dog, the dog had already found a home, which was a really good problem for the dog, (laughs) but not for me. And I knew that I really wanted to rescue and I had my sights set on a beagle. And so... I had a search set up on, it was either adoptapet.com or petfinder.com, I don't remember which one, for Beagle. And I woke up one day to the most adorable little face in my inbox. (laughs) And if you've seen Sunny, she does not look like a Beagle, and you'd be right in assuming that she has no Beagle in her DNA. However, they had listed her as a Chihuahua Beagle mix, and so she showed up in my search. And her face was so cute. I reached out and I said, hey, I really want to meet Sunny. That was actually her name with the rescue. It just suits her. So I kept it. And I said, yes, she's still available. Can you come today? I was like, yeah, sure. And so that's how Sunny came into my life. And even when I was there, they're like, you know, we were told that 
she has beagle DNA, but I don't think she actually does. And I was like, I don't care. She loves me. I love her. We will live happily ever after, <laughs> beagle or no beagle. So that is how I met Sunny. <laughs> how old was she when you met her? She was only like three or four months. So oh, okay. her and her sister were living in their original family's backyard with their original dog parents. And the family was moving and couldn't take all of the dogs or any of the dogs. I'm not really sure. I'm not clear on that. But they had brought her and her sister to the rescue because they knew the people running the rescue. So, Did you ever have her DNA run? Do you know what, what uh, type of dog she is? I did. There's no beagle. <laughs> There's none. In fact, she actually, she howled on our way home that day. And the only time I've ever heard her howl since then was when my friend has like six dogs and we were in their backyard and they got each other going and Sunny tried to join in. And it was the most pitiful, ridiculous noise. <laughs> and she was like embarrassed at the noise that came out of her and hasn't done it since then. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. <laughs> but, yeah. but her main breeds are Chihuahua, Pekingese, and Pomeranian. And then there's several others in there. There's like uh, Cockerspace. Daniel, Doxy, Minpin, Poodle, basically a bunch of little companion animals came together, had a party, and out came Sunny. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so. so, oh my gosh, so you got her right before the pandemic. I did. Yeah, it was actually really good timing because I brought her home like the second week of December, I think it was. And so that was of 2019. So, we actually were really good at quarantine before quarantine was cooler, kind of quarantine hipsters. Um, <laughs> she, when I brought her home, she ended up having kettle cough. Um, I kind of say I rescued her from the rescue usually, but she had kennel cough and that was really hard. And we had to keep her isolated from my roommate's dog at the time. And she was also still getting her puppy shots then. So once she healed from kennel cough, she got her puppy shots. And we still obviously had to keep her protected until she had all of those. And then when she was done those, then she got spayed. And so we were like finally cleared for everything in the world. And then the world shut down. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, at least you had a good quarantine, buddy. I sure did. I sure did. We spent so much great time together. It was a blast. I remember we had like a little outdoor indoor agility set from I think Outward Hound and we have a pretty big porch so we were playing it on the porch. <laughs> I looked over and realized our neighbors were watching from their balcony with like glasses of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, hey, can my cat come join? They're probably better than your dog. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, what? So I'm going to start charging admission to watch the agility show on my porch. Thank you very much. <laughs> but we had fun. That might be my favorite quarantine story that I've heard. <laughs> it was pretty pretty hilarious. I don't think I ever met them like when they weren't up on their balcony, which was like second story or something. <laughs> <laughs> so I know that you did get into training classes with her. So I guess that when was that? Because, yeah, that would have had to have been a little while after uh, quarantine. Yeah, we actually started before. So I took her to a positive reinforcement place called Zoom Room. And we did Puppy Plus classes there um, while she was still finishing up her shots and everything. And then she graduated them. And then she graduated Obedience 1 on her first try, which may have been a fluke. <laughs> um, and then the world shut down. And so that was really interesting. And we had to wait, I think, almost like six months or so before Zoom Room reopened. And then it was it was challenging, actually, because we had to train with masks on. Mm. And so I actually am not that great at projecting my voice. It's just not a skill of mine. And so it was really hard for her to understand me at class. And there was a lot of starting and stopping because someone would get sick and they would have to stop classes for a while. And so it took us quite a bit of time to progress through the next level of obedience there. And then she did actually graduate and get her CGC in, I think, June of 2021. So it's so about a year and a half later. Okay. So 
Had you always planned that once you got a dog that you would get them into training? And did you have any specific goal when you started training with her? No, I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) So when I got her, my friend actually who went with me to go meet her, which is the same friend who has all the dogs that try to teach Sunny how to howl. She used to own the zoo room that was near us. And it was a franchise and she was like, you need to take her to Zoom room because she knew that they were positive reinforcement and that they would teach me how to teach setting because that's really what dog training is, is teaching the human how to, how to, how to teach the dog. Um, that's a huge, huge part of training. And so along the way. So we started there pretty early on. In fact, I actually got their book the day I got Sunny. I just purchased it on Kindle and read through it. So I started working with her like from day one on just like basic, basic stuff. And then, like I said, I also made her an Instagram the day I got her. (laughs) I don't know why, but I did. And through that, I found some other pups who were doing therapy dog work. And that's how I learned about it. And I saw that Zoom Room had classes for therapy work as well. So roughly, it became like my goal to do that probably four months or so maybe after I got her. It wasn't my initial goal. It wasn't why I brought her home. I brought her home for me. But it was around that time, I would say, when we started having that goal. Now, you told a very funny story in one of your emails that I loved about her obedience certificate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I told you obedience one was a fluke. (laughs) So it was really funny because she did. So it's actually not uncommon for the dogs there if they went through Puppy Plus to pass the first level of obedience really quickly because they're learning a lot of the same skills in Puppy Plus. Um, But it's four, four to eight month old puppies. So she graduated. We did obedience one. She graduated that on her first try. We came home and I wanted to take a picture of her with her certificate because hello, Instagram. <laughs> and before I knew it, she grabbed the certificate, ran upstairs and was chewing on it on my roommate's bed. And I was like, yes, you're very obedient. <laughs> To be fair, we never covered don't you and your certificate in class. (laughs) I think that's so perfect. Like the dog ate her own certificate. (laughs) Right, right. Her obedience certificate, nonetheless. Nonetheless, (laughs) I'm glad you got pictures of that. She's a silly girl. (laughs) And so how has your journey with her evolved? How did you get into formal training with therapy work? Yeah, so step one for us was passing CGC. It's not required for all therapy dog organizations, but it is very similar to most therapy dog exams. And so it was just a really good milestone for us to work towards. So once we got that, I did find an evaluator in our area and I emailed them right away and I was like, hey, my dog just got her CGC, let's test. Um, I'm a very like go-getter sort of person and I learned very quickly that I cannot do things on my timeline with my dog. I have to do things on her timeline. And that was a very difficult lesson to learn. That's a really important lesson though. Yeah, it it is. And I think it's the only reason that we ever graduated to be honest, because there were many tears shed when she didn't graduate in the timeline that I felt she should graduate. But I learned and I accept her for who she is. (laughs) Hopefully she accepts me as well. (laughs) So yeah, so that was really interesting because this was before I became a dog trainer. And I had a lot to learn about dog stress and dog behavior and dog body language. And we had a really full weekend the weekend before. There was a lot going on. There were a lot of stressful events for her. And I just didn't know. (laughs) I also knew you were supposed to have them freshly groomed. Grooming was a really stressful experience for her. It's not something that she experiences often because she's not a stinky dog and she has short fur that doesn't need cut or anything like that. And so I just really set her up to fail, to be honest. And she, to her credit, oh, also the test was outside at like 1 p.m. in Los Angeles summer in like July. So yeah, I'm pretty smart. Uh, (laughs) So... 
she aced the skills part. She really did. She did great. But when it came then time to greet people, which she normally loves to do and did on her own, it was always her own idea throughout the pandemic, all throughout her neighborhood and in class. Like it was really her teachers in Zoom room who told us, who told me that she would really enjoy being a therapy dog. It wasn't actually my idea. I don't think might've been, might've been a joint effort. Anyhow, she just couldn't do it. She was just really nervous. And part of it was because I was really nervous. Like I was really nervous because I wanted it so bad and the pressure felt so high. And so we weren't told no, but we were told go practice and come back. And that was really, really, really hard for me. And I remember the evaluator being like, are you mad at me? And I'm like, this isn't really about you. But I went back to the car with Sunny and I cried and I looked at her and I said, you know, you don't have to do this if you don't want to do this. It's up to you. We'll only do this if you want to. And it was really hard for me to accept that and to move forward with that. And yeah, so we just kind of continued our training from there. But I really took the pressure off because I realized I was rushing the timeline again something I have to learn repeatedly. And also that my own anxiety was a big part of the reason why we really struggled with that test. Because for me, it's not comfortable to walk through Home Depot and be like, hey, do you want to pet my dog? And I forgot about the fact that like, I have to be comfortable doing that (laughs) before she's going to be comfortable actually greeting people. So yeah, those are really important lessons to learn. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah, thank you. So how did you start learning more about like dog behavior and dog stress and and decide that you wanted to become a trainer? Yeah, so actually shortly after that, I got an email through a company called Absolute Dogs that I had been doing some training through and they were promoting their program called Pro Dog Trainer to become a dog trainer and I was like, cool, you know, we have our CGC, but I feel like I've only scratched the surface. I want to learn more. And so that program is actually taught by a vet behaviorist in the UK and um, a Great Britain agility instructor slash team from the UK who is just pretty world renowned in agility. And so there's a really great team of people who are actively working with dogs in different situations and training their own dogs. I think they both had like well over 10 dogs each or something like that. And so they work with a variety of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. I can't keep track of all their dogs. There was actually a video I was watching today where I was like, which dog is that? I haven't seen that one before, but so I decided to enroll in that program. It was virtual and I, I enrolled in both levels of the program. So I actually learned a lot about like dog neuroscience and the process too. And just a lot about how their brains work and, and that sort of thing, what's going on inside them, not just how to coach them. But what really appealed to me is that their whole program is approached through games-based training. And so you're actually playing games with your dog to teach them different concepts. It's just a different approach that I really, really resonate with. So Rather than worrying about teaching your dog to like leave it or drop it, you're teaching them to disengage from things. And that transfers beyond across multiple situations. And so if I had been teaching my dog how to disengage with things, she may not have taken that obedience certificate and run upstairs, even though she had never explicitly been taught, don't grab an obedience certificate. So it's just a different approach that I really enjoyed. I'm really fascinated by this. I'm like totally going to Google this as soon as we're done talking because <laughs> I, I love the sound of that. And I always want to learn more. Like I always want to know everything about everything. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fascinating. So can you, is there like a, a game or, or like an exercise that you can share with us that like off the top of your head? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So one of the ones that I really like to play with her is called Toy Switch. And so we play that with two pretty much identical tug toys you don't have two identical ones, it's okay. It just makes it easier for them so that one isn't better than the other. And you play with one tug toy with them, get them all riled up, and then you present the second tug toy to them and say switch. And the goal is that they switch to that one. So they basically learn how to disengage with something. And because they're identical, it's not a bad deal to switch to it. Whereas if they have a preference over one of them and you're asking them to switch to the one that's not as much fun, then it might seem like a bad deal to them. So that's one of the games that we play that helps her to really learn to disengage with items 
and I ask her to. And I've actually transferred that to our walk. So especially with Riley. So I have a puppy, Riley. She's eight months old. She's also a chihuahua mixed with a lot of things. <laughs> and she, um, we call her walks treasure hunts. So for Sunny, her walks are like sniff abouts. For Riley, they're treasure hunts. And she will find things and I just keep treats on me and say switch and she'll switch to the treat instead of whatever delicious treasure she found that's probably going to wreak havoc on her digestive system. In Baltimore, (laughs) it's uh, chicken wing bones. (laughs) Lovely, yeah. If you were to walk around Baltimore, you would think that chicken wing bones rain from the sky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I believe it. (laughs) Well, I really like the sound of that. Um, I'm thinking of times where that would have come in really in handy for us to have known. Uh, I'm really excited about this. (laughs) Yeah, I actually have, if you want, you can go to my website, go to sherryrody.com slash games. And I put together a guide there that kind of introduces game-based training for therapy dogs specifically. Um, So that's a good way to kind of learn more. And I think there's three games in there too that I shared. Awesome. I'll make sure we have a link in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. And so... Do you formally work as a animal assisted intervention specialist or, or how did you get that certification? Yeah. So that certification is through a kind of new organization called the Association of Animal Assisted Intervention Professionals. It's actually a sister org to pet partners and they put, they formed in last year, actually 2022, Um, to really provide standards and a place to connect for professionals in the animal assisted intervention space. So this isn't just therapists. This could also be like occupational therapists. It could be teachers who work with their dogs. It could be speech language pathologists. Like there's so many different roles. It could even be like dentists. A lot of times they'll bring in dogs to work in like a dentist space. And so there's so many different roles that benefit from partnering with animals And they're really working with bringing people together in that space to create standards. And part of that is a certification they put together called the Certified Animal Assisted Intervention Specialist. And you take a proctored exam across several different spaces that basically just says, you know what it takes to ethically, safely, and best practices partner with an animal in different situations. And so I really took that as a step to give myself the confidence that I needed that, yes, I do know what I'm talking about. I have learned a lot in all these different trainings that will really help me when I'm ready to go through that certification process again with Sunny or with Riley, whoever, (laughs) whoever is ready first. Um, Maybe it won't be their thing. Maybe it will be. I don't know for certain, but the path I'm on now is a little bit of a longer one. And so having that certification in the meantime really helps me know that I'm on the right track as well as know that when I'm talking with people on Therapy Dog Talk, the podcast, or in other different places about therapy dogs, that I'm not misinforming them, that I am actually talking about best practices and the things that we really need to do to best partner with our dogs. And so that's a certification for the person, and that's a separate thing from your dog becoming certified, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Is your dog still in training to become certified? Yeah. Yeah. They actually, they both are. Um, So for Sunny, I don't think that Sunny would enjoy volunteer therapy dog work as much. She really likes to build relationships now. There are areas that you can volunteer that do allow for that, whether you're visiting the same people repeatedly or there are volunteer teams that partner with professionals. So that's one of the things that AIP and Pet Partners help do is connect volunteer teams with professionals. And so you can actually work with like a trained therapist and they will partner with you and your dog to implement your dog into their sessions with their clients. So there's two ways that I could approach that. One is bringing her in through that method to work with other therapists or working with someone else's volunteer dog in my, with my own clients and partner with them that way. So I could take either approach. I think that Riley on the other hand will really 
enjoy volunteer work as a therapy dog. She is someone who will run up to everyone that we meet and just like plop herself down at their feet and look up at them like pet me. Like, just give me love. Um, she just lives for that. Whereas Sunny is just a little more aware of the dangers in this world. And so I'm always working on her confidence and building that for her. So she's closing in on four years old. So things can always change and she learns and grows every day. So I don't know what that picture will look like for her for sure. But I'm really just taking the pressure off and letting her take it at her pace. Did you have any specific goal in mind when you started this of like, oh, I'd really like to work with children or I'd really like to work in a nursing home setting? Or obviously there's a lot of different settings now more than ever. Did you have anything specific in your mind? Yeah. So when I started it, no, I didn't. I, I think I thought with the volunteer work, I was really interested in the airport just because I used to spend so much time in airports, as well as there is a program through our Department of Mental Health, one of the community partners called Paws and Pals, and it's dogs working with children with autism. And I thought that that would be a really special thing to do. Now my goal is actually to partner with my dogs in animal assisted play therapy. So that's more of a long-term path, which is a lot of the reason why I've taken the pressure off because there's a lot of training that I have to go through before they're even allowed to join me. So along the way, I'm absolutely working on the skills that they need to be prepared for that. But first there's some, there's an in-person training I have to do and some other stuff as well as well as finish my um, professional license for therapy work. So you're a very ambitious woman. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was talking about that with someone the other day. They're like, I don't even know what I'm doing in five years. And I was like, I was that person until (laughs) I started down a track where you have to, like you just have to. I graduated with my master's last May, May of 2022 and I have my associate now as a marriage and family therapist, but you have to accrue 3000 hours before you become licensed. And that's a minimum two year process. Yeah. So it's a long path and it's not because I want it to be. It's just because it is. That's how it is. How it is right? <laughs> so, you know, I've always had a soft spot for therapy dog work. And I've always had in the back of my mind that I would love to be able to do that one day. And, you know, because I've always had pit bull dogs, it always felt like special and important to me to be able to help put like a good positive spin on, on those, on the dogs, you know? And, uh, and then as I started realizing that basically, you know, I just don't know enough and I'm just not disciplined enough to train them at least at this point in my life. And also at when I first had my, my old gals, it was really only, um, you know, like nursing home visits. And I didn't always know whether that would be the best fit, like for me, you know, I, I think I would rather, I'd rather work with, I don't know, like, like the scared street kids or something. I don't know. Like that's like more, more fitting for me, I think, but there's a lot of different ways to do this. So what should people take into consideration for themselves and then also for their dogs to know if this is a good fit and, and if they should start down this path? Yeah, absolutely. So you want to think about whether or not your dog genuinely wants to interact with people. (laughs) You can't force them into it. Well, you can and people do, but you shouldn't. And so you want to make sure like they really are happy when they're interacting with other people. Are they wagging their tail? Are they approaching them because they want to or are they only approaching them because you're forcing them to like how are they reacting when someone goes to pet them do they go to walk away do they stiffen up or do they lean into it and get excited that's definitely something you want to look for if you want to know whether or not to work with children and you don't have children in your home one thing you can do is take your dog to a park just from a safe distance from the kids See if the dog is interested in the kids. Are they afraid of the kids' noise? Are they interested in it? Are they neutral to it? That'll really give you a good idea of whether or not that might be a good avenue to pursue if you don't have children directly in your life. 
And then for yourself, the biggest thing to think about is what environments do you feel comfortable in? Maybe walking into a medical setting gives you a panic attack. That's probably not where you want to volunteer. Maybe an airport is just too like stimulating with everything going on in the environment. So you really have to think about where you feel most comfortable. And there's such a wide range of environments that are possible that you can really find your home. Maybe you and your dog like to be on the move constantly. Or maybe you like to be in one place and people come to you. And those really make a difference in where you would volunteer or work together as well. And you have a a handout about this, right? I do. Yeah, you can go to freeguide.therapydogtalk.com. Um, it's also at sherryrody.com, but that's easier to spell. <laughs> so that, there's a guide there that you can download, and it really just gives you a lot of the questions to think about and consider when you try to figure out where you might volunteer as a team or even what organization you might want to go through. Because there's a lot of different lifestyle considerations, too, like what you feed your dog could indicate who you go through, what breed your dog can indicate which organization you go through. Like there's so many different things Um, But there is a home for every therapy dog team as long as the dog genuinely enjoys the work and the person does too. That's great. I'll make sure we have a link to to that in the show notes. (laughs) That way we won't have to worry about spelling it. (laughs) (laughs) I I like that you have your podcast too. Can you tell us what inspired you to to start doing that? And and do you have any favorite stories or unique people and and therapy dog teams that, that you've covered? Yeah, absolutely. So Therapy Dog Talk started as an Instagram live series. I, you know, I kind of started because Instagram was doing live bonuses and I just got more and more comfortable doing lives as a result of that. Um, And I was just racking my brain trying to think of a series. And so it did start after the bonuses happened. So I can't really blame it on that fully. But I was in a DM group of other Therapy Dog teams. Some of them We're already working together. Some of them were training towards it. Some were professionals, some were volunteers. And we had all connected um, pretty early on in the pandemic. One of the dogs, Adele Saka, um, connected us with her journey to animal assisted therapy with her dog, Rosie. And so it was really interesting to watch them kind of process not being able to volunteer and then slowly things opening up and then being able to volunteer in different capacities. And I just really wanted to learn more about their stories. I was just really curious. I love finding people's stories, which I'm guessing you can relate to since you also have a podcast. And so I asked them, hey, would you be willing to just go live with me? We're going to call it Therapy Dog Talk. And Barb Focatis was actually the first one to go live with me. And it was really fun. We had a great time talking about her work with Carmel in schools. She's a golden doodle. And their training journey was not easy. <laughs> so that's just the things that we talk about are, you know, like, what what do you really enjoy about this work? How do you know your dog really enjoys this work? How did you find your right fit? What surprised you in your training journey? And I think when I think about the episodes, it's really hard to pick a favorite. Like, there's so many good ones, um, especially, like, I can think of a list right now to send to you that are all about, like, pit bulls who are volunteering as therapy dogs. And, oh, like, that makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, how they're using their message. Like, there's Dina and Petey, and there's Colt and Chris, and I'm blanking on her name right now with Bubbles, but just really, really great teams that are teaching kids so much about acceptance because maybe their dog has a disability or their breed is just not a breed that has a good reputation for whatever reason. And so it's, it's really, really powerful when you can add in those messages and help kids feel seen by teaching them self-acceptance. And so that's a really great thing. I think if I were to recommend an episode to really help you think about finding your fit in therapy dog work, the episode with Tara and Juno, which I think is episode 58. So if you go to sherryrody.com slash 58, it'll take you directly there. That one is such a good story. She, her dog Juno, um, she has a puppy. She's a chocolate Labrador and she was wild. (laughs) And it took them so long to train towards that goal. And even then there were environments that they just couldn't pass the test for. They they are a certified team and they were doing a lot of really great work together. Um, But each 
there are some facilities where you have to pass their tests too. And there was one that they just couldn't pass it. And it was really frustrating for her, but she realized later that it wouldn't have been a good fit because her dog is one of the ones that I was talking about where she just does better being on the move. And in that particular program, she would have been sitting still and people would have been coming to her. So it's a really good example of just how to find your fit and what options are out there. Yeah, I've always really liked the the ones too where the children read to the dogs. Yeah. I oh, I love that god that makes my heart happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that a really good one for that would be Taylor and Benji which is um episode 47 I think. She does a program that she's just named Books with Benji. It's actually part of a bigger program, but she likes to call it Books with Benji with her dog. And she talks a lot about what they do with children and how they help them gain confidence reading and how they offer like additional sessions. So yeah, it's really, really powerful. So what is the first step with training your dog? Is it to look into doing something like the CGC or is there any other specific training or title, you know, that is common for therapy dogs to get? Yeah. So if you want to become a therapy dog team, the best thing to do is work towards that CGC title. It's not required. You don't even have to do formal training. You can YouTube it and and teach it yourself if you feel confident doing that, or maybe that's financially what's plausible. That's totally fine. You don't have to do a big fancy therapy dog program for it. But the CGC, if you just look it up or look up pet partners or alliance of therapy dogs, they have their test items online too. You can see which items are required and just make those your training goal, work towards those different things that your dog needs to learn in order to pass that test. And maybe they don't become a therapy dog ever. That's okay. You just have a really well-trained dog in the end. There's no harm done. (laughs) And it seems like uh, a lot of places Uh, around the country, like all have their own different organizations or so I guess people need to really find what's local to them and see what their qualifications are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are like five nationally recognized organizations through the AKC that that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best. That's just they're they're recognized there. Um, There's different things that you need to take into account. You want to make sure that their insurance covers you. Um, If you're a professional, you need to go through an organization that also offers professional insurance. For example, Alliance of Therapy Dogs does that. Or if you're registered through a different organization, you can still get that professional coverage through uh, AAAIP. And so that's one thing that you need to be aware of. The other is making sure if your dog has a disability or a certain breed that they're allowed through the program. And then also just making sure that the program meets the standards of practice in animal-assisted intervention. So you can find that at therapyanimalstandards.org, I think. (laughs) You can check that before you link it. Um, But that's something you can access from anywhere. And it really is a group of standardization put together to just make sure that you and your animal and the people that you visit are safe. And so just make sure that There's tons and tons of great local organizations, too. And even if they're not recognized by the AKC, look into them, see if they're a good fit for you. Uh, Just make sure that they follow those standards, I would say, is the biggest thing. If you care about AKC titles, it does need to be one recognized by the AKC to get the AKC therapy dog titles. But that's only if you care how many letters your dog has behind (laughs) them. Understood. So... I just caught something that you said, and now I'm wondering, are there programs that won't allow certain breeds of dogs? There are, actually, yeah. So that's a big part of Chris and Cole's story, Cole the Deaf Dog. You may may have heard of Cole. Cole's been on a lot of pretty big programs. But their story, they had a hard time finding an organization that would allow Cole because he is a pit bull and because he is deaf. And even though they are reg- they're registered through Bright and Beautiful Therapy Docs, they're doing a lot of great work. Chris is actually a music teacher, and Cole comes to school with him. And so it's kind of ironic. The music teacher has a deaf dog. Yeah. But they, they're such a great team, and they are helping so many kids. But even still, they encounter different facilities that won't let them come because of Cole's breed. And so if that's something you want to do but you have a dog who people may be biased against it's just remembering to find that right fit it's it's really hard not to get discouraged when you run into those barriers but 
there are organizations and facilities out there who will allow you to work through them and you can make an impact through them. So it's, it's, um, it's focusing on finding that, that right fit for you. My blood pressure is going up right now. <laughs> like, I just can't believe like in 2023, we're still dealing with this, you know? I know. I know. I'm with you. <laughs> so that's an interest. I was wondering if there are any specific like interesting challenges that you've ever heard about that you're like, oh, I would not have thought of that. And to me, that's one of them that you would think that if a dog is able to pass these tests, these standardized certification tests, that it wouldn't matter what they looked like or, you know, what shape their head was or whatever, uh, if they're all passing the same standards. Yeah, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't. And I think that's talked about in all three of those episodes I mentioned with the pities that are working as therapy dog teams, I know Dina and PD talked a lot about it in that episode and just how many times they've encountered people who are like, Oh, I'm afraid of pit bulls. And then they meet PD and they just fall in love. (laughs) They just think he's the best ever. And so it's really great that there are these dogs out there who are making a difference, not only in the people that they visit, but just in the reputation of their breed as well. Yeah. I mean, that was, What started me, you know, on this whole journey of how I got here today is I so didn't know anything about dogs. And my husband really wanted a female brindle pit bull. He had been picturing this dog in his mind for like eight years. And he always lived in these places where like you couldn't have a dog. It was like this crappy apartment in somebody's basement or something. And so we finally bought our house and I go on the website for our local humane society. And right there on the first page is a female brindle pit bull. And I'm like, well, I guess we're getting a dog. And <laughs> I thought it was like such a wildly specific thing that we would like never find it. And then I would like never have to have one. But no. <laughs> And so all of a sudden, I, like, I didn't even know that people didn't like pit bulls. Like, that's so how clueless I was. And then I'm like, oh, but if people met Lucy, they would like love her, you know, and that was kind of how I got started on this journey of 20 years ago, you know, that that led me here today. (laughs) (laughs) So I know that you recently launched an online course, and I was very excited about this because I I know uh, you went through Tori, who was just on the podcast recently through through Tori's uh, course for this. So can you tell us about your course? Yeah, absolutely. So I created a course called Life Skills for Therapy Dog Teams, and it really was born out of a lot of what we've already talked about here today, especially in terms of really addressing the human side of therapy dog handling. So the way the way the course is structured, there are four main concepts that we go through, and it's calmness, confidence, resilience, and balance, with balance being about setting boundaries and about um, self-care to prevent burnout and create balance in your life. And so in each of those modules, we go through how do you create this skill in yourself and how do you create this skill in your dog? And of course, because of who I am, when you're creating the skill in your dog, you're playing games, (laughs) which makes it really fun. And so it's really, um, it's really a work of so much love. I was so excited to put it together and kind of scared, <laughs> mostly excited. And I pitched the idea to several people who are existing therapy dog teams or who are interested in becoming in therapy dog teams. And every single person was like, yes, absolutely. That's a great idea. And so that's how the course was born. And we are actually currently, while we're recording this, in the middle of the first cohort. And it's just such a great group of people. I'm really, really honored to be able to go through this journey with them. That's wonderful. I feel like that would be just a great group of people, you know, anytime like that are that are working with therapy dogs, because I mean, that is such a a dedication, you know, and and it's like, oh, this got to be good people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know people are always like, thank you so much for doing therapy dog talk. This is so important. I was like, I'm just selfishly wanting to talk to people about their therapy (laughs) dogs and this way they'll do it. I like kind of know that feeling. Join me on lives every single week. <laughs> I kind of know that feeling. 
Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Sherry. You gave us so many amazing resources. I'll make sure we have links to everything that we talked about in the show notes. I know of so many people who are always interested in wanting to do this type of thing. And, and you gave us such a great idea of where to start. And I'm so thankful. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great talking with you today. <laughs> Thanks, Sherry. I'm so grateful to Sherry for everything she shared with us and taught us about becoming a therapy dog team. And I hope you now have a better idea of where to start if this is something that you're interested in. I'll make sure I have links in the show notes to information about the Canine Good Citizenship Test, which, as Sherry mentioned, is a great place to start. While it's not required that your dog become a canine good citizen, the types of skills and expectations of your dog to pass this CGC test are pretty much universal things that any therapy dog test is going to want you to be able to do with your dog also. And I really appreciated learning about the different organizations that are out there to standardize the expectations amongst therapy dog teams. And that there's lots of ways to work with therapy dogs. Even if you yourself don't have a dog that you are ready to bring around, you can pair with another team. And I thought that that was really exciting information for all of us to have. It remains on my bucket list for myself that this is something I hope that I can do in the future with one of my dogs. And you know, I know I got a little fired up there hearing about this whole thing about pit bulls not being accepted by all therapy dog organizations. Um, that definitely is something that really gets my, my blood pressure heightened and is why I guess it's so important to me that I show that these dogs are just as awesome and well-behaved as any other dog considered to be a therapy dog. I also love this whole idea of games-based training. We all know that our dogs love to be silly, love to play, you know, especially younger dogs. And so I love this idea of making training fun for them and for us. So I'll have a link in the show notes for you also to learn more about games-based training. And of course, all the links to find Sherry, to find all of the amazing freebies that she has, the course that she has, and her podcast, Therapy Dog Talk. So before I let you go, I wanted to mention two exciting things about the Believe in Dog podcast. Number one, this episode marks the four-year anniversary of the Believe in Dog podcast. So thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of it. This past year has been an incredible growth for the Believe in Dog podcast. I still have so much I want to do, so much I want to cover. I feel like I could just do this forever. So truly, thank you. And the number two exciting thing is that the Believe in Dog podcast and me are featured in this month's edition of the Women Who Podcast magazine. This magazine features independent women podcasters, which means the people who are doing it all themselves. <laughs> I am the writer, the producer, the editor, the engineer. All of the things are done by me. A little over four years ago, I didn't know how to do any of this. I'm all self-taught. It's been a really exciting journey, and it was a really big deal to me to be featured in this way. So I'll have a link in the show notes for you if you'd like to check out the Women Who Podcast magazine article about the Believe in Dog podcast. So that'll do it for this episode of the Believe in Dog podcast. If you like this episode, remember that you can always leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's pretty much the biggest compliment that you can give a podcaster. You can always find me at Believe in Dog Podcast on Facebook or at Erin the Dog Mom on Instagram. So until next time, this is Erin Scott sending you hugs and belly rubs. Believe in Dog Podcast is a production of Hugs and Belly Rubs, LLC.